Hi, my name is Charlie Bird, and for almost 40 years, I was a journalist reporting on some of the biggest stories of the day, both in Ireland and abroad. For my first series of podcasts, I wanted to look back at some of the stories and some of the people that impacted upon me the most. Today's story is from abroad and about a day that nobody will ever forget, the 9-11 terrorist attacks in New York. I already knew the Irish hotelier John Fitzpatrick before the events of 9-11, but he became my host, my companion and confidant during that extraordinary time. John, you're very welcome. Let's start. 9-11, it had an impact all over the world. But there you were, a hotelier in New York. Can you remember where you were when you heard the news? Well, Charlie, absolutely. I think it doesn't matter if you were in New York or you were in Ireland or wherever, but I think everybody remembers where they were when they heard the news. I was, it was about 20 past nine, and I happened to be walking from my apartment to the hotel on 57th Street. And I remember my PA at the time, Donna, calling me and panicking and says, you okay? Are you okay? And I'm going, of course I'm okay. I'm a few minutes late, but I'm, you know, I'm okay. I had no idea. It's amazing, you know, in the city. And the world had found out about 9-11. But I walked down and she said to me, um, did you see what happened? I didn't. And she told me. So I walked into the hotel and I remember walking into my bar because, um, you know, the Fitzpatrick Manhattan on 57th Street, it's um, people just hang out there, you know, and it could be for a cup of coffee in the morning, or it could be for a drink at night, but the bar was full at half nine, which is unusual. But everybody, the residents all came down, and there was a lot of Irish there, and they were just in the bar, and it was complete silence, and they were all looking at the TV. And truthfully, the first time I saw the Twin Towers was looking at a TV in my bar and I couldn't believe it. I thought it was a movie or something that we're looking at and then it hit and we got it and it was an awful experience I have to say uh, that morning you know the first hour and a half everybody was kind of just dazed and then when it settled down we all said come on what are we going to do and I remember looking out Lexington Avenue and if you know our hotel the traffic goes down well there was no traffic and then within two hours there must have been thousands of people walking up it because at that stage, subways closed down, taxis closed down, everything closed, cell phones died. So people were trying to get out. Were you frightened? Um, initially, no, because I was in shock, right? But as the day went on, yeah, because then there was fighter aircraft flying over the city at 600 feet and all. Just, it was just chaotic and we heard that the president was in the air somewhere and they were afraid to land because they weren't sure where to bring him. So... Yeah, for a while, but I think we were so involved in the hotel and trying to make sure everybody was calm and, you know, comfortable. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it was the two hotels were just booming at the door because everyone came in and people were staying there and what are they going to do? So it was, it was frightening because it was later that day, actually, it probably hit us because as the hotel, we settled and people were okay and... Um, a few of my friends were calling me and how was I and people were calling, trying to call because with the cell phones, you know, there was two massive towers on the Twin Tower, cell towers. So they were gone and they covered half the city. So, and then with everybody using cell phones, it was blocked. So it, you were getting a call and then you weren't. And then, so we didn't know, none of us knew where anybody was until that evening. But we got a message from my friends. Um, there was a great restaurant we all hung around called Lagaloo. And we all agreed to meet there at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock that night. So we went up and that was tough because the restaurant was quiet, but it was all our New York friends. And, um, 
you know, a lot of them are, well, my friends will be Deutsche Bank guys and things like that, and they'd be in the banking world and the Wall Street world. And some of them had lost, well, at that stage, they didn't know how many they lost, but um, they're, of their colleagues. So it was, it was, a, it was a frightening day. I mean, clearly the effect all over the world was so, it was so traumatic, but... Clearly, people in Ireland, they were ringing you, they were ringing the hotel, they were trying to find friends, they were looking after everybody. Yeah. There was a connection there, wasn't there? It was amazing because it started around three or four o'clock that afternoon, we started getting calls in on landlines. And uh, there was people calling from Ireland and England that said, look, my daughter's in New York, we can't reach her. Uh, can you just, can I leave my name? And if she comes in, could you get her to call us? So we started taking a list, which ended up into a ledger by within 24 hours. And then it was also Irish people calling into the hotel saying, listen, I know my mum or my dad's going to call because they can't reach me. So can you just say I'm okay? So we take their name down. So we had two ledgers. It was incoming and outgoing of people calling in and people calling out. And then I realised the next day, I said, we better let the consulate know because I'm sure they're ringing the Irish consulate. So at the time around the Irish consulate, and we were passing names back and forth. And that's how our official, we became then because the, the unofficial second consulate because people were calling for days and we were calling them back. And then if they came in, see a lot of them lived down there and they just left, but they had no apartment. Um, it was full of dust. I remember one, one of them coming up to me saying, John, I said, did you get back into your apartment? This was two days later. I said, John, I finally got in but there was something like four inches of dust on the floor. I mean, so they never, they never went back. So they stayed with friends. So our hotel was kind of the centre for them to call and, and do it. Looking back now, so many years later, what effect did 9-11 have on you, on your hotel and on the Irish people and indeed on everybody in New York? Well, I think what it had effect, first of all, New York... I think New York people, look, they're the greatest in the world. There's no place like it. But we're tough people. New Yorkers are tough. And you have to be kind of tough. And, you know, I couldn't understand them when I first came to New York. I'd stand in an elevator and I'd go be going 20 floors. So you're actually in the elevator for quite a long time. And there'd be somebody standing beside you and they wouldn't say hello to you. wouldn't say hi. And my instinct of being Irish and everything is say, well, I'm going to turn around and say, how are you? You know what I mean? You can't stand beside a human being and just ignore them. That's, but that was New York. And they didn't do a purposely, but that was just a New York mentality. It softened them. It actually brought them to realise that nobody is indispensable. I mean, you just realise, you know, I think America was so used to going to war, but it was always a war in somebody else's country. And I think this is what really hit them this it time. It was brought to them this it time. It was brought to them and they saw what had happened and it's just how vulnerable anybody is. And New Yorkers became more friendly. I mean, you go down the road and weeks later, months later, hi, and then if you know this for a while, it stopped now. But even the taxis stopped blowing their bloody horns. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was always boop and push and everything. So there was a bit of hu human side came out in people and they realised, look, you know, life is it's, it's short when you think of it. And the amount of people that were lost that day, you know what I mean? And for months later, I mean, even today, I meet people and say, oh, yeah. And they say, oh, yeah, I lost my husband or I lost my wife or, you know, or I lost my brother. It's still, it was a disaster, you know? Yeah. It's funny, I can remember because I had been to your hotel before. We'll, we'll come back to that later. But on the Saturday of 9-11, I walked in from uh, Juarez in Mexico in through El Paso and I eventually made it up to Fitzpatrick's. <laughs> and that was our office uh, for, for almost a month. And I remember the first thing, it was 
basically, well, maybe not quite shouting at you, but asking, <laughs> could you get me a cell phone, <laughs> which I used. So I had, I think it was Donna's or your secretary's Donna, yeah. cell phone for, for a whole month. Well, I remember the reason why I'm laughing is because my encounter of that story was a little bit different, Charlie, because I remember it was about 24 hours after. And now at this stage, the hotel's jammed. Even we were taking people in that were living in Connecticut but couldn't get home. One guy actually slept in the lobby because he had no room. We made sure he was okay. And, uh, and his wife then picked him up two days later. But I remember it was 24 hours into it and we were in panic stage. And someone runs into the office and says, oh, we're in trouble. I said, what's wrong? He says, Charlie Bird rang and he wants a room. Our health service is here for you this winter, and we're taking every step to protect you from COVID-19. Our services are open and working, from routine appointments to urgent care. Remember to check your prescriptions and keep a list of your medicines handy. And look out for your Keeping Well This Winter booklet in the post. Visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1850 24 1850 for more information. From the HSE. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, a Doro 8050, designed specifically for seniors. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a Doro smartphone is go to the website seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. The image I always have afterwards of, of um, 9-11 when we were reporting on it, first of all, there was the fire station around the corner from your hotel and we went down there and there were pictures of the firemen and flowers who had lost their lives. And that's really what brought this home. Every place you went, there was an image of somebody who's, who had lost their, their life. Um, it was very, as I said to you, it was the first time that something was brought to their doorstep. And compared to the fire, guys, they went down there. And as I said to everybody down there, you know, at the time, they said, oh, the first thing that got in my head was asbestos. I said, there's bound to be asbestos. These fire guys, and you'd see them coming out with, on the TV with dust all over them. So our precinct, yeah, it was the 17th precinct. And um, it's right, the fire station's right beside it. So there was a lot of, and, you know, and to this day, when you see a fire engine um, in New York, they're still flying the flag behind it, behind the, the, the truck, because right after the, the American flag just just was everywhere. You know what I mean in, in solidarity. But I just saw there the other day coming up in, in the situation we're in at the moment, and still you see the fire engines go and the flag flying at the back of it. You know, Rudy Giuliani was the mayor of New York at the time, and he got a lot of kudos, a lot of credit for what he was doing. He was. Absolutely, at that time, probably the best one of the best mayors we ever had. He, first of all, even before 9-11, when he became mayor, 
he cleaned up the city. He got rid of the, the mafia down on the on the fish market, um, and, and and also cleaned up all. Um, you know, we walk into Times Square now and we see how beautiful it is. It wasn't like that when I first came in ninety one, ninety two. It was a lot of those peep shows and. Was it a dangerous place? Absolutely. And off once we got off, it was a dirty place, and he cleaned it all up. He really cleaned up the city. I think. And even actually, when I opened the Grand Central Hotel, he opened it for me. And he came and opened it and, and did the official opening for me. He was a great mayor, great guy, different guy today. Don't know what happened to him. But I think one of the reasons what happened to him was, was he had one fault and he had an ego. And I remember a great the police commissioner at the time, John Timoney, who came from the Liberties. That's right, yeah. And John was the police commissioner at the time. And John used to say to me, um, he'd come up all the time and he'd say to me, you know, if there was an, uh, any news to be broadcasted. If they did it and Giuliani didn't get credit for it, they'd be in trouble. So that was his one. So you can see nowadays what's happened and where he is at the moment. And he's got older and um, he's just got off to, oh, I hate to say it to you, but he's, I feel sorry for him because all the good he did in the early days, nobody will remember that because of what's happening at the moment. But he was a brilliant mayor. Your family and the hotel business, uh, as a as it turns out, I actually probably knew your father and your mother, Etna and Paddy, before I'd actually met you. It's just bizarre, whatever way it, it, these things happen. But you, you, anytime you read about you, you always say that your father and your mother, they made you work hard to get into this business. Isn't that right? Look, absolutely. And I think it stood to us all and it's gone right down through the whole family. I mean, Dad started off, he lived in Dorky. You know, and um, on the Viker Road, and Mum lived in Finglas, and Mum, uh, Dad was a young manager at the time. He started off in the Gresham Hotel, and he'd always tell her peeling potatoes, and he he had just this thing. He worked from the bottom up, and met Mum, and um, Mum became part of Dad's. Dad wouldn't have been a successor without my Mum. There's no doubt about it. They were just a, gr a great couple. But I remember, but Dad's attitude to us all was, you know. Nothing for nothing, he said. And he said, you can't ask someone to do a job that you haven't done yourself. So he was brought up very, you know, really tough. And I remember telling some of the stories. I mean, as a young manager he, in the Gresham under a great hotelier at the time called Toddy O'Sullivan. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, we'd always hear if we were ever, if dad was ever lecturing us or whatever, the first name Toddy O'Sullivan wouldn't do this. And Toddy O'Sullivan wouldn't. He, I mean, he was his icon, so mentor. But... Um, but uh, it was some great stories about that because he worked his butt off. And I remember even saying it, his first job then was the old ground in Ennis, his manager. And this stage he was dating mum. And mum was now a top model. So she was in, in Dublin. And, um, you know, and I remember dad telling us that he, he only had one day off or something. And he drove his Woolsey, I think he said he had, from the old ground in Ennis. And there was no motorways then up just to have dinner with her and drove back because he was on breakfast the following morning. And that's what, little things like that stick. Dad was very tough that way. And he was right. He made us all work hard because, you know, you appreciate then, you know, when you're asking somebody to do something, you know. Dad had always this dream of a hotel because he used to travel to the States a lot. A lot of our business was American tour business and corporate business. And he had a very simple idea, if you think of it. He said, look, you go to New York, you go to Chicago, there's Irish pubs on every corner of the world. That's right. But there's no Irish hotels. So, now, he, I think he was <laughs> top bigger than we really didn't realise what we were going to hit when we hit New York. But So then I decided to, we started looking around and because I had the American experience and I wanted to live there, I started chasing around. And it wasn't just New York. People think we went to New York. We spent two years 
you know, first of all, we were too small to do on our own, so we brought in um, uh, a venture capitalist at the time, and it was De um, Dermot Desmond's uh, group, and they backed us, and we went into, so I went to Chicago, I went to, looked at LA, came back to New York, and I said, no, it just, New York seemed to be it, and we looked at a hotel then, and um, Dad and myself, we went out and we looked at a hotel on 57th Street. But this was 19, I'm talking about 89. And it was, it was they were, the property price were high. And I remember there was that hotel we now have, is, it was called the Dover. They were looking for something like 22 million for the and building that was empty for six years. And it was huge money to renovate it. We knew it wouldn't work. And, but at the same time, across the street, it's a small world, British Airways were looking at a similar building for 24 billion. It had a few more rooms. They bought it and we walked away. But I kept looking around. I remember Dad getting a phone call in Kalini one night and it was from the broker that was selling us. And he said, oh, look, that Dover Hotel in 57 is back up on the market. We came back and we bought it for 10, half the price because the Gulf War was on. So, you know, people say, how did you survive 9-11? How did you do this? If you think of it, you know, you, it's it's tough. New York is tough, but if you really work at it and you and you get it. So we decided to go for it and we renovated it and we were open within six months, but it was tough. Now, this is where dad kind of got it wrong. <laughs> and I don't mind saying it because he was so well known in Dublin, in Ireland. And I nearly had to sit, sit him down one night and I said, dad, you know, you might've been a big fish in a small pond, but we're in New York now. Nobody knows us. Nobody cares about us. And... They can't even pronounce Fitzpatrick. Every time I do a sales call, it's either Fitzgerald, Fitzgibbons. We're nothing. And we really have got to work at this. So when we opened it, it was very tough. It just didn't take off. And um, But and then really it became did. one of the most remarkable <laughs> landscapes, landmarks. You know, anybody Irish going to New York goes, at least they know, yeah. Fitzpatrick's Hotel. And was it Albert Reynolds was the first Taoiseach in 1991 yeah. to go well, there? I think the success was the Irish people, truthfully. I think the Irish people like to see other people go off and do stuff. And the first one was, remember, the time's really bad. It was so bad, Charlie. I was up in my office and I had cameras in the bar and in the lobby. And if I saw one customer in the bar, I remember I'd go down and say hello to them. It was that quiet. It was so hard to get a brand. Empty. That's where I learned how about branding and how you your brand is, how you get the brand out there. It's the hardest part of the whole job. So I remember Albert was the Taoiseach at the time. But also um, Mary Robinson was president. And I remember contacting through her office. And I knew she was coming. And those days they all came to the Waldorf. I mean, it was just that the Waldorf was a place to stay. And I remember getting a message back when Mary Robinson arrived and we finally got to sit down and talk. She said, well, she said, you know what? She said, it's an Irish hotel, John. I'm here to support it. But like everybody else, they said they supported, but you still had to deliver. You just couldn't because you were Irish, expect them to stay with you. But she was the first. Then Albert at the same time came in with Kathleen. And then Albert was amazing. I mean, I have to say as a Taoiseach, well, he was such a, he loved America and he loved coming and they all loved him out there. And I remember there was the little things that he did that helped me. And besides staying with me, we'd be out for dinner and you'd be a black tie dinner with six, seven hundred people in it. And he'd finish his speech and he'd do it purposely 
but discreetly, he'd say, right, we're all going back to Fitzpatrick's now for a drink. And that, that's all you needed, you know? And I'd say, where's Fitzpatrick's? And it was little things. The Irish then came out and they supported it. And, you know, it was just the loyalty. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be successful. I was staying, it. by the way, uh, in Fitzpatrick's. That was my first visit when Mary Robinson uh, came from Somalia. Was I was staying yeah. in the hotel. You mentioned earlier about the mafia in New York. Is there a mafia? Was it there? Was it difficult? You know. Absolutely. It was, uh, and, you know, that's why I think Giuliani was great. He got, he, I don't think he'll ever get rid of it 100%, but he got it under control. Oh, I had awful problems. I mean... You had problems? Oh, I had serious issues. All kind of small, like... Um, Give me an example. Uh, what do you call it? Um, well, I'll give you one example. Uh, the hotel wasn't even open. And um, we were in, I mean, the building was shut down now. It was a construction site. The whole front we took off. And I remember I took over one of the bedrooms, which wasn't, we just fitted out with sheetrock and plasterboard. There was no wallpaper on. And I took the bedroom. Um, as was the, the bedroom was my office and my poor PA at the time, the bathroom wasn't even fitted out and she, she was in that. It was That's how raw it was. And uh, But I took over and um, I sat there and all of a sudden I started having, we had three security guys doing, with four security guys doing eight-hour shifts and one for their day off. And I started now, as we settled down, dad gone and basically said, here you go. And about a month later, I'm going, these invoices coming in and it was for garbage. And I'm paying... 1500 a month for picking up garbage. And I said, okay, must be a mistake. So I remember ringing the garbage guy. The garbage company was called Knickerbocker, of all things. And uh, I just called the number. And it wasn't like, well, good evening, Knickerbocker. It was, yeah. And that was the end of the phone. I go, yeah, uh, this is John Fitzpatrick. And, and I said, yeah, I got an invoice here. I said, yeah. And I said, well, you know, it's in for picking up garbage and I don't have any guests in the hotel, so there must be some mistake. Oh, I'll send Susie over to you to talk to you. So the next day, Susie arrived, beautiful Italian young sales girl, lovely girl. And I remember Tommy Makeham's was open on the corner to write the Irish Post. So I said, come on over to the Irish Pub and I'll get, buy you lunch. And so, you know, I, in the back of my head, I had some idea, but I didn't know what was going on. I mean, at that stage, I was 30 years of age, you know, I'm 29, so I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And I sat there. And so finally, halfway through the lunch, she brings it up then. And uh, she says, um, now, Mr. Patrick, this invoice. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious. How come I have an invoice and I have no garbage? Oh, well, you know, everybody gets an invoice here because we 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 um, have business in all the streets here. I said, yeah, but I, I don't have any garbage. And I said, well, I think the best thing to do is we'll cancel it for the moment. And, and she said, what do you mean cancel it? I said, well, when I open, I'll come back and I'll let you bid for it. Now, at this stage, I had a fair idea. So she said, what do you mean bid for it? And I said, well, everything else. I said, like everything, I'm getting three prices for everything. Just quote for three. And I remember she looked across the table and she didn't know if I was stupid or, or what. And she said, I don't think you realize, Miss Fitzpatrick, but this is a family business. And I kind of know now, so I had to blow it off. And I'd say, oh, yeah, she, don't worry. She, look, I'm in a family business, but sure, we'd fight with each other and we do. I have to get the best price. And she just looked at me. But by the time I, she'd left and I got back to my office, my PA at the time was in bits in the office because, yeah, man, this, this guy, Mike, had called her back and chewed her out of the phone and said, your boss rang and using all sorts of language and everything. And she wasn't used to it. So I said, what? He said, what to you? So I rang him back 
And I said, Mike, I said, uh, I just, do you just be out of my office abusing my assistant? And he said, well, who do you think you are coming in here? And, you know, the F words were flowing back and forth and coming in. So you town. were being shook down. So I turn, let him go on and he just shook down. And he said, and you know that we do this. And it goes on for about two minutes. And I kept saying, are you finished? Not yet. I said, well, keep going. So finally, about a minute later, he said, why are you asking me am I finished? And I said, well, I've just recorded everything you've said. I said, and the boom, phone goes down. And I ring my lawyer, Jim Manny, who I still use. I said, Jim was a great friend of my father. He opened the Bronx. And I said, Jim, I just had a call and I told him the whole story. You said, you said what to him? I said, yeah. He said, where are you now? I said, I'm in my office. He said, are you going out tonight? I said, I don't know. No, you're not going out tonight. Stay there until I sort to see what's going on. So anyway, I stayed in that night. I ordered in. And then the following morning, I got a call from Mike, from Knickerbocker, a totally different call. And he basically said, Mr. Patrick, my apologies. He said, I, I'm sorry about that. I just had a bad day. Things were going wrong. Just ignore that for a moment. We'll talk to you as you get opening. So he, he basically thought I had recorded. I never recorded the call at all. <laughs> there's different types of levels. There's the high-end mafia, and then there's the street-level mafia, and there's different things. But it's, it's a great city. Um, thank God a lot of that is gone. I don't see much of it now, but in the construction, they're still there. It's the construction, and, and, and it's all tied in, you know? During the time from the early 90s when Albert was going there, then other Tishi were going there, the peace process was developing in Ireland at that stage. Uh, and did you see, I mean, how conscious were you in New York of what was happening at home in relation to the peace process? Because as we know, as your career moved on, you became really involved in it in, 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 in America. But in the early 90s and into the middle 90s, what was it like then for you over there during the, the early stages when the bombs were still going off and the peace process was developing? You know, it was an interesting time. And you say I got involved. I got involved by accident in a way because um, there was a great guy called Bill Flynn, who yeah. was head of Mutual of America yeah. at the time. And Bill wanted to try and help the peace process and get and be neutral. And if you think of it, I only look back on it. Um, he was bringing in, at this stage, there was no Good Friday Agreement, but he was bringing in all parties. So it wasn't, you know, Jerry Adams would come in because he was they were used to getting in, they did a lot of fundraising in the States. But he'd bring in all the other side, the loyalist sides. And one day he rang me and he said, John, I'm bringing a feud. And President Clinton was president at the time and they were quietly bringing him to see the president. And none of us knew, you know. But he said, John, I've got to bring some of these guys in. And I'd have some of the, Sammy Douglas, I'd have some of the really tough loyalists. But it was very funny one night, he said, I'm bringing in four or five of them, can you put them up? I said, fine. Kept it very quiet. Truthfully, I was so removed from it. I didn't know where they were going. I didn't know, but I just looked after them. But I remember one night, and uh, who was it? I'm trying to remember. It was a four or five of them. They were all mixed up. And they came in very nervous. First of all, were they coming to New York? And second of all, staying in an Irish hotel. It just wasn't right to them. But by the end... These were loyalists. All tough loyalists. Yeah. Such as. And um, I remember one of them saying to me, that evening then, after the second night, they all relaxed. And they were sitting in the bar, and I have to remember it was a great night because when I opened the hotel, Brendan Grace uh, came over, and one of Brendan's greatest things was he brought a guitar, and he gave me a presentation of a guitar, and he says, put that now, you're not bringing that home, he says, put that behind the bar and leave it up in the bar, and anybody wants to come in and sing a song, you give it to them. Well, would you believe that night, at the end of the heavy talks, whatever went on, I was removed, I said, at that stage, 
but they were all sitting around the bar and here where they were all singing songs and singing Irish songs. And your man said to me, one of the lawyers said to me, he said, never thought I'd be here, he says, in New York, but I definitely think I'd be in an Irish bar singing Irish songs. But that was how Bill Flynn and others and um, Tom Moran got things moving. And then we all kind of got involved in different ways. And then when my mum passed away, I set up a foundation in her name and my first reaction was to, to try and help the North. And we do, we've done a lot of charity work up and, and support a You've lot of You've done remarkable things. charity work. Well, look, that's thanks to everyone. Everyone says, oh, well done, John, but it wasn't me. I got just people. I mean, I do a golf tournament every year and the support I get from Ireland, I mean, Ronan Collins comes out, Mick McCarthy was there. They all come out to support it. And that's where we raised the money and we ended up doing so many projects and, and I tried to do it was Mary McAleese um, who really kind of got me going onto, the, onto that side because I spent a lot of time in the loyalist areas and to this day I would be a lot of my money and even though I'm very close on the, on the other side I've been able to build up a relationship it's amazing I can I can go either side and um, I'm, you know, I, I'm, they, 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 they don't look at me as one or the other. I saw one comment that you made. You said there's no, there was no peace wall in Fitzpatrick's in Manhattan. Yeah, it, it's amazing. I tell you a great story now, Jim Rand. Yeah, no, we just, everyone came in. But I remember when um, uh, Ian Paisley um, became first minister. And I met Ian Jr. a couple of years previously. And Ian Jr. rang me, he says, you know, Dad's coming out, he said, and uh, we're going to put him with you. Now, this is before the consulate knew, the British consulate knew, not only because Ian and myself knew each other fairly well at that stage. And he said, I'm going to get him to stay with you. He said, you're happy with that? And he said, absolutely. He said, I just have one condition. It was always funny, I get this same reaction. He said, what's that? You have to fly to Union Jack. I said, I'll fly whatever flag, head of state, is in my hotel, no matter what it is. So we, they couldn't understand it. I said, you know, the Good Friday Agreement is how many years ago? I used to be surprised at people saying that. Why are you doing that? Yeah, yeah. So I remember it was a great thing. I'd never met the doc. And uh, as a kid, I remember sitting at home watching the TV and this tyrant roaring into your, out at you. That's all I ever remember. But he was the most unbelievable man when I met him. So he said, well, I'm going to come out to, we're all going to come out with Martin McGuinness the next day, but we're going to send Dad the day early because I want him to relax. Will you meet him? And I said, yeah. So he had me. So he arrived up in the car and the Baroness, lovely woman, got out. And, uh, you know, Paisley had this tough face on him. So he didn't know him. He gets out of the car and a very tall man, he wearing the, holding the hat. And he looked at me very solidly. And then he looked up. And then he looked back at me. And he says my son says you're okay, because I'm flying the flag. But he came in and... Uh, we're flying the Union said, Jack. Yeah, yeah. And he came in and we just got on like a house of fire. But he would never go into the bar. Oh, the bar was just not... So you had to put him in the dining room and sitting up. And, um, and then Martin McGuinness came. But I think what really helped the peace process, I really think, was those two gentlemen. Because when you saw them staying there... McGuinness had such respect too for, for Paisley. So they were both staying in the hotel at the, the same time? Day. Oh yeah, people were ringing me. After they were booked, I mean, I'd had the Consul General and the, and the British Consul ring me, and he's staying with you. And Mark McGuinness is staying in the same hotel. And I kind of go, guys, do we have a good Friday agreement? Or what's the big deal about two guys staying in a hotel? Non-political. Oh, it was amazing. And um, 
I don't know who was Taoiseach at the time. I'm trying to remember. The t- yeah, I think it was Bertie, was, or whatever it was. And he came then the next day on a total separate business. And I'd be ringing the Irish Council. Yeah, for the Good Friday Agreement around there. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, it. yeah. And the, I had the three of them sitting in the bar together. It was just... It's just one of those special moments. You have, you know, you have the, you have the tough times like 9-11, but you've also got those special moments where you see just casually sitting in the bar. And they'd always say it to you when they came out, when they were away from what they were, they would get more business done and get a better relationship. Do you remember the time that Ian Paisley Jr. was choking <laughs> on an orange? <laughs> oh, that famous day. I'll have, oh, you remember that. Listen, uh, remember that morning? I remember it was the weekend. It was, we, oh, I think it was after all the St. Patrick's Cabaloo and Ireland were playing England, right? And I was hosting up on the second floor and I said to you, come on up the next day I'm hosting for about 10 people unofficial no big deal I said but remember Ian Paisley is up there and I could see you kind of looking at me and saying Ian Paisley I said yeah but it's it's casual he's a bit of fun but more important then when I said to Ian Paisley that you were going to be there he got a oh Charlie Bird I don't know and I said well Chuck we're all friends I said but I do I remember we all came up and for the first five minutes everybody was like on eggshells but then you all loosened up a great crack but I never forget Ian Jr he had a mandarin orange I'll never forget it and he was peeling it and he put a lump in and he kind of coughed and you kind of said to me Jesus I think you said to me oh my god it's one thing about sitting here having breakfast with Ian Paisley but let's, let's see Ian Paisley choke on an orange <laughs> he still tells that story do you know that Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, a Doro 8050, designed specifically for seniors. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a Doro smartphone is go to the website seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. Our health service is here for you this winter and we're taking every step to protect you from COVID-19. Our services are open and working from routine appointments to urgent care. Remember to check your prescriptions and keep a list of your medicines handy. And look out for your Keeping Well This Winter booklet in the post. Visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1850 24 1850 for more information. From the HSE. You were at Meghan Markle's uh, wedding. Yes. Harry. That goes back. I'm trying to think how what happened. You know, this is this beautiful, something about our hotel business. I was sitting in the bar one day. Rory McIlroy was there. He was playing a golf competition and Pori Carrington. They were playing upstate somewhere. But they had a few days off. And I see Rory in the corner with a baseball hat down and then, and somebody with him, but I didn't see who was with him. So I'll go over and say hello to him. And who was he sitting beside? This was before he got married now too, so I want to be very clear. It was Meghan, Meghan Markle. And I was a huge fan of suits. I love suits before. And now to this day, I'm very friendly with Sarah, who's Donna. And she actually was in Ireland last year. And um, 
So we got talking and I figured it out. How he got to know her was, he only had met her that day too because the ice book challenge was on. And he was sitting there on Facebook or whatever and she was in whatever way they were connecting and he challenged her and he realised that she happened to be 100 yards from the hotel. Her best friend lives on 57 between Lex and 3rd. So he went over to her place and they met them and they did the ice book challenge. He brought her back for a drink. Well, that night, I'm going down to, Sopra- to Cipriani's downtown with some friends and I said, come on, will you go down? And fair deal, Rory was coming and Sean Flaherty, his top guy, and um, I said, come on, uh, Megan, you want to come? And she said, oh, I said, Megan, come on, we're all going for a bit of fun. We all came, had a bit of crack. And a few, my, my, my best friend, David Doyle's daughter, Ashley Doyle over with her friends. So we also had about 20. And one thing I loved about Megan was, the first time was, she came a little bit later, but she went around the room to every one of those other girls that were sitting at the table, to the young girls who just were mad. But she never had any sense of, status or that's you know what I mean she was brilliant so we had a great fun so that's how I got to know her then she got invited to speak in Trinity College so when she was here I took her for dinner and then she was kind of seeing somebody wasn't I think it was off then at this she was dating some celebrity chef so I took the opportunity to invite her to the White House one March and uh, it was and she said, I'd love to go. You but weren't dating her, no? No, I was not dating <laughs> Sorry, her. I'm and joking. officially, I was not dating her. <laughs> and I want that to be very clear now that Prince Harry is involved. I definitely was not dating her. But no, we were just best friends. I so understand. We were but she was a great character. And what we did was, um, I said, I remember ringing her. I said, listen, I'm going to the White House, do you want to come? And she, it was amazing, of course, she is now. And I'll tell you that story in a minute. But it was a big deal for her. And I said, no, hold on, we're only going to the White House. It's a reception. I'm not sitting with the president. I'm where yeah. there's 200 other Irish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're all there. <laughs> but we're going to have fun. And she said, I'd love it. Well, I swear, we went down and we had the best time. And even after the White House, I got her to meet, um, and there was Taoiseach, and um, she got to meet her. And, and would you believe she was lucky enough, we were in the right position that Obama came over because I'd met Obama a couple of times and I introduced her to Obama. And she was over the moon. And I'm going, you know, this is a movie star, but you think of it, you know, she'd never been there. So we had a great time. Even at the end, we always used to go to the ambassadors or residents, but there was always an hour or two gap. So I'd go back to the will and I'd always host a reception and I didn't realise I had in my suite I had more than I thought I would have about nearly 30 showed up and I remember turning around to Megan and saying Megan I don't have enough staff here so you won't have to help me serve the coffee and the tea and make it I'm doing it myself and no problem and here she was serving Loretta Brennan Glucksman <laughs> are you serious? Oh, she, Megan Markle was she doing the was serving brilliant she was, we all, the two of us, I said, you got to help me. She got behind the bar and everything. She's brilliant. She is, you know, she's, she gets a tough time, but she's absolutely, so anyway, then what happened was she did, she came back to Ireland and, um, and we just became very close friends. And then I got to know Sarah Donna and uh, did, and then out of the blue, we just stayed very close. And um, she came to, sorry, she came to New York. We'd go for dinner and whatever it is. And her friend lived across the road. We'd go up to um, Bill Bouquet. But she was just very normal. And then when she started dating, we'd be emailing each other and all sorts of stuff. And we'd stay in touch. And I never forget it. I saw her with Prince Harry and I said to her, and then she started coming off Instagram. She started coming off all her. I said, so I go to her and I said, oh, something's happening here. And then, so we were able, so anyway, she got engaged and um, she, then she got married and she invited me and it was an amazing wedding because um, it was just so different. You know, the wedding was different. So, and I'd never been to a royal wedding. So, 
But then at this stage, I'd known um, Donna thing from Suits and we all stayed in a hotel. They kind of blocked off a hotel where they came over and picked us up. And um, so I hung out with the whole cast of Suits the weekend. It wasn't just a wedding, it was the whole weekend. But then finally she became... When she married Prince, and this is what I love about Meghan, because she, you know, she married Harry, and we stayed in touch. And I was going to London one weekend. I said, you know what? I'll just chance it now and see. So, hey, Meghan, um, I'm coming into London next weekend. I'm sure you're free for coffee. Joking? Oh, she says. She comes back and she says, "Yeah, drop up to Kensington." And I went up and I had sat with her, and we had. Uh, it was amazing though to see, you know, the difference because. I arrived and you've got to go through all this protocol and everything else and you go into the room and you're sitting in a big room and you're waiting and this guy in his full footman in his full red outfit and his white gloves. And, uh, but they stand there and they say, we'll go and get the Duchess for you. And it was great because she comes, then she comes in and she has probably now a bit formal and I say, Duchess, how are you? And she was brilliant. She turned and said, John, it's Megan. It was Megan in the beginning and it's Megan now. And within two minutes, she sat down opposite me but it was so funny. Then they all left and they said, are you okay, Duchess? She says, yes. And she leaves, they leave the room and she jumps them easily from the couch then sitting over to where you are behind and just totally relaxed, totally different. Says, how are you? What's going on? How's Rory? How's Erica? And she knows it was Rory's wife. And she said, and I said, well, how long have we got? She says, and she looked at her watch. She said, we've got exactly 29 minutes and they will be back in for me. It was just sad to us. So I, and it was tough, you know, and we just talked normally then. And it was just, it's, it's just, that type of life, it's different. And they, once she came back, the former look came back on again. And she said, thank you, John, and we'll see you again. And it was, you know, it's tough. It's a remarkable story. And so we're coming to the end of it. I just want to ask you, did you know Donald Trump? Yes. <laughs> I... <laughs> But when I first came... Could you expand a little bit? (laughs) (laughs) Do we have to talk about him? But anyway, yes. Be honest. Be honest. Um, About 20 years ago, I was playing in some charity golf out in Wingfoot and he was playing and I remember going up to him. And, um, you know, at that stage he was a hotelier and I was a young and I I was so impressed with the Trump Hotel and everything else. Little did I know uh, at that time. So I went up to him and I told him it was very strange. He went up and, and he said, I said hello to him. I handed my business card thinking, you know, I might get some business or I might be able to get some contacts because that's what you do. And the next day, two days later, I got a letter from him with my card returned and was signed, Donald Trump, nice card. And I said, what the hell did he send it back to me for? Oh yeah, I met him. He's, look, he is what he is, unfortunately. And I thought when he became president, you know, one thing about America, when you live there, you've, you know, you might be a Republican or Democrat, but once the president, you respect the office. And, you, and you, you know, once they're president. And I said, give him a chance. He's a businessman. You know, he's a bit rough in the edges. He, you know, he'll, he'll grow into it. No, he never did. I'm sorry to say, unfortunately, he just never did. And the country is where it is today. And is it thank- sad? It's, do you know what I'm going to say? It was sad for four years. And I'm not so much criticising the president. I'm actually, it's sad to see the way it went. And, but now, I, and it's not because of Joe Biden getting in. First of all, President Biden and President-elect Biden is a genuine guy. And um, he's been in politics all his life. And just a lovely man. I've met him a good few times. So, and his brother, Jim, Biden stayed with me for nearly six months in, in the hotel about a year ago. But the difference is, as soon as he was, like you could see, like a cloud was lifted off the country. And it's only now people are realising, when you see who he's putting into different um, positions, that, that how much was lacking 
for the last four years. So I think we're in a much better place. I think America is going to get stronger again. But more important, I think America needs, will get back to the credit it should get. And I think Biden will make sure it's respect to be respected as, as the country it should be. So now I think with the great news about the vaccine, and the second one rolled out yesterday. There's a stimulus package just announced by, by the state last night. So I think America will come back very, very strong. I think from our business point of view, disastrous. When I finished 9-11 and got through it, I said, well, thank God I got through that because I don't think in my lifetime I will ever see anything as bad again. And this is 10 times worse. But as soon as the vaccine was announced, it was amazing to see my reservations already for September next year and especially the Irish they just loved that they were ringing and said we're coming we're coming and they were ringing Shane Cookman my operations director and he said we're booking I said when oh September put me in for the first two weeks of September people okay have you know stayed at home but they can't wait to get on and soon as it's safe and I think we'll be back um, stronger than ever John all I can say is thank you very much for taking part in this podcast today we return to an extraordinary time in an extraordinary place and in a way that seems to chime with where we are today. Let everyone stay safe in these uncertain times. So, Gunnairi on Bohor Live. This podcast was produced by Simon Murta and engineered by Mark Murphy. Thanks. Thanks, Charlie. Great to spend time with you.